Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from my panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I'd like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Longevity Foundation and Cancer Care Workshop um, on Genomic Testing and Current Trends in the Treatment of Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, and this is part two of a workshop series called Living with Lung Cancer. Today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb, an educational grant from Daiichi Senkyo, and a grant from Genentech, and I really want to thank them for their support, not only of this particular program, but for many of our workshops that we offer. Now, before um, I introduce our wonderful speakers, I just want to let you know a little bit about who's in the audience. We have about 186 participants on today's program. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban and frontier communities, and we also have international participants from Canada, France, United Kingdom, so it's a bit of a global call as well, and it's a really credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I'm just going to ask you a few questions, and it will allow us to get a sense of what you know coming into the program so that we can better plan our programs going forward, so um, it really helps us to create better programs for you, and we're planning many programs for the coming year, and so um, it really helps. So, so for those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to address these and rate these questions. So the first question, on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand the role of genomic testing in informing the treatment of non-small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the definition of genomics and genomic testing in non-small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. The next question is, I understand what liquid biopsies are. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And just two questions left now. I understand the difference between genomics and genetics in non-small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then just this one last question. I understand the significance of current research on genomics in non-small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. Um, and uh, thank you very much. It will help us uh, inform uh, our programs so they better meet your needs, your, your responses. Thank you. 
And it's now my pleasure to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Bob Lee. Dr. Lee is Medical Oncologist, Thoracic Oncology and Early Development Service, Chief Scientific Officer, Memorial Sloan Kettering Direct, Co-Director, Thoracic Liquid Biopsy Program, Physician Ambassador to China and Asia Pacific, Bobst International Center, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Dr. Lee will be addressing an overview of non-small cell lung cancer in the context of COVID-19, definition of genomics and genetic genomic and testing, the difference between genomics and genetics, the role of genomic testing in the treatment of non-small cell lung cancer, and specific examples of how genomic testing may inform treatment decisions. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lee. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, and uh, I'd like to also thank the Longevity uh, Foundation and Cancer Care for providing uh, this opportunity for me to, uh, uh, to speak and work with esteemed colleagues on this panel uh, to provide information for patients, their carers, uh, and supporters. Now, I want to draw your attention to uh, lung cancer. Lung cancer uh, remains uh, one of the most commonest uh, cancers out there in the world with more than 2 million new cases each year worldwide. Non-small cell lung cancer is a type of lung cancer. Uh, it's the predominant type that uh, accounts for more than 85% of lung cancers. It's now approaching 90. It remains one of the lethal uh, uh, cancers out there. However, this is rapidly changing, uh, and the good news is that mortality is dropping. So traditionally, from a, a deadly cancer that really has very few treatments, uh, and uh, we have now transformed the landscape of, of diagnosis and treatment of lung cancers to one that may be managed uh, with good medicines, uh, and that patients can, may continue to live uh, productive lives. We have seen a, a significant reduction in mortality over the last decade with substantial increases in survival after a lung cancer diagnosis. And this was attributed to multiple new therapies, including targeted therapies and precision medicines that Dr. Sabari will be giving uh, you a lot of details on today. I want to put this in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. We are facing one in a century uh, a public health crisis today, and we're hoping to overcome it, but uh, we're not, it's not over. This has led to uh, a lot of delayed diagnosis of lung cancer, and, and un unfortunately, in the later stages of disease, because of the, uh, uh, all the uh, pandemic uh, restrictions and, uh, and lockdowns and, and the uh, safety issues of going out, patients have delayed their cancer screening. Uh, and also other medical tests, uh, and unfortunately, uh, that's uh, continue going to lead to continuation of a uh, delayed uh, diagnosis and therefore a increased healthcare challenge uh, in the community uh, in dealing with lung cancer. So it's important to know that lung cancer screening for patients with a heavy smoking history needs to continue, uh, and now with telemedicine, with uh, vaccination, with appropriate uh, pandemic measures, uh, personal protective equipment and so forth, uh, that cancer screening should not be delayed. At Memorial Sloan Kettering, we 
adopted a comprehensive approach to uh, fighting lung cancer in midst of the pandemic. And it's, it's been largely successful because the patients are able to continue their care, their treatment, even through the peak of the pandemic. This was enabled through technology, by telemedicine, uh, by social distancing, and uh, by the use of personal equi uh, protective equipment such as masks and, and face shields uh, uh, and gloves. And of course, a lot of hand washing and hygiene. And our patients have largely continued to, to, uh, to receive uh, treatment uh, throughout uh, and uh, and many are continually living with productive lives with uh, lung cancer, and some are cured. Patients with lung cancers face an, a substantially higher risk of getting COVID-19 and also having complications, including death, from COVID-19, several fold higher than the general public, even when accounted for your age. So patients with lung cancers are at risk of a double whammy effect uh, with COVID-19. And that, therefore, it's, they are the vulnerable population we must protect. Fortunately, we do have the vaccines uh, made increasingly available to patients, and it's important that all patients with lung cancers are vaccinated against COVID-19. I have personally lost uh, patients with lung cancer to COVID-19, even when the cancer treatment was has been successful. When the, when the virus hits, it's, the, the risk is incredibly high uh, and the complications are severe. But fortunately now, most of my patients uh, the vast majority have been vaccinated with, um, uh, for the COVID-19, and patients are now returning to a sense of normality. And that leads to substantially increased quality of life. They're, they are now able to get uh, to, to not only come to the clinic to get treatment where it's safe, but also able to enjoy time with their family, with their friends, even go out to restaurants in a, in a responsible manner uh, and, and gradually resume that life that leads to better quality. I've had patients who ask me questions about, about vaccines. Is it safe? Is it effective? And so forth. And the answer is yes. My patients on chemotherapy, immunotherapy, targeted therapies, or surveillance have all done well with the COVID-19 vaccine. Yes, there are known uh, side effects that are managed, that could be well managed with, with supportive care and, and hydration and rest and, and usually very short-lived. Yet the complications from COVID-19 are vast and often irreversible so that the risk-benefit ratio just cannot compare. So therefore, I, I uh, advise every one of my patients, and I have these discussions with every one of them, uh, to ensure that they are vaccinated and they are being protected and they are safe. And of course, myself, my co-workers at Memorial Sloan Kettering have all been vaccinated. So this allows a safe environment for patients to come in and get their much-needed treatment. And, and surveillance visits.
Now on to the a little bit of uh, uh, technology and and onto the topic of genetic testing. And I want to clarify the words genetics and genomics. They actually largely refer to the same thing. Genetics is anything to do with genes. And genomics, when you add the word, the suffix omics, that means the whole of the, of the subject. And it's a branch of science that deals with the whole of the entity. So not just one gene we're talking about. When you do genomics, you really have to look at the entire uh, panel of multiple genes, multiple alterations, mutations, and, and their interactions. So when you talk about genomics, you're not talking about one gene you're talking about, or one mutation. You're talking about uh, an, an entity on the whole. So that's really the, uh, the, the difference in terms of definition. So that's why in cancer genetics, uh, we have moved increasingly toward genomics because the, it's incredibly complex. And if you just study one gene, you're only going to get really part of the answer. Testing for the genetic mutations or genomic features of lung cancer is incredibly important. As I mentioned previously, much of the substantial reduction in mortality and increase in survival uh, is linked to the use of precision medicine and targeted therapies. This is targeting the genetic or gen uh, genomic changes in the cancer. This could be provided by a tissue biopsy. Uh, you stick a needle into the tumor and get a piece of tissue and sequence it, or you cut it out with surgery. Uh, and that's by isolating the DNA of the tumor, you can then map out the cancer genome and, and you understand uh, the genetics or the genomics of the cancer and you can, that can serve to guide patients onto the right drug uh, to, to fight their cancer. With advances in technology, this could be achieved from a blood test and that is now known as a liquid biopsy. And instead of sticking a needle into the lungs or into another organ to get a piece of the tissue, we can get a blood test, which patients do all the time. And using advanced genomic sequencing technologies to isolate the tiny fragments of DNA that may be shed by the cancer into the circulation and then map out the, the, the genome of that cancer. And with that, we can also guide treatment uh, for patients. And this liquid biopsy guided approach uh, has recently been shown to increase, improve overall survival. This was presented at the, uh, the recent American Society of Clinical Oncology annual meeting uh, by my colleague, Dr. Justin G. at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Now, uh, in terms of uh, how uh, this liquid biopsy or tissue biopsy or genomic testing can can help a patient. Well, just take uh, a case in uh, example of the recent approval of sotorasib, uh, which is a KRAS inhibitor for lung cancer that was just approved uh, a few weeks ago by the US FDA. This is a, a pill that you take once a day, but it shuts down a particular gene mutation called KRAS G12C. KRAS is a very common 
a genetic uh, driver of lung cancers and many other cancers. And for decades, we've not been able to crack it until recently. So you've got to know whether the tumor harbors one of those mutations that could match to a, to a drug. Otherwise, patients uh, can still have other treatments, including chemotherapy and immunotherapy, which are still important. But if you don't test for the KRAS mutation, then you'll never know that the patient may have benefited from the KRAS inhibitor. So sotorasib was a breakthrough story in cancer research that was uh, led uh, and, and it was a direct result of the routine uh, genomic testing that we now do for lung cancer. So every non patient with non-small cell lung cancer should get genomic sequencing, uh, either tissue or, or by liquid biopsy, but they must get it done in order to open up these, these uh, treatment possibilities. And another new treatment called amivantamab, an antibody against EGFR and MET that was recently approved by the FDA for a specific rare mutation called EGFR exon 20 insertion. And this was also approved uh, very recently, uh, now available for patients with that particular mutation. Dr. Sabari, who uh, played a, a leading role in that discovery, uh, and development, uh, we'll speak to you about more, more about the details. So I'm going to uh, uh, stop there uh, and turn the floor to Dr. Sabari and my other colleagues, and we'll be happy to answer any questions at the end. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Lee. That was really an outstanding uh, presentation and really a wonderful um, start to the whole program today, really covering a lot of issues that people um, needed clarification about. So thank you so much. Um, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Joshua Zapari, and Dr. Zapari is attending physician, thoracic medical oncology, assistant professor of medicine, NYU Langone Health, Perlmutter Cancer Center. And Dr. Sapari will be addressing a definition of precision medicine, current research on genomics, discussion of the role of liquid biopsies, key questions to ask your healthcare team about genomic testing and its benefits to your treatment, guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, follow-up care, and discussion of open notes. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Sabari. Hi, Dr. Mesner. Thank you so much for the introduction, and thank you to the Longevity Foundation and the Cancer Care uh, Group, uh, and also thank you to Dr. Lee uh, for all of your work in this field and, and for the, the very grateful and gracious uh, introduction. So, you know, my, my role here is to really, you know, sort of hone in and talk more about the definition of precision medicine we're going to talk about some of the updates in uh, current research on genomics, uh, the role for liquid biopsy, and as uh, Dr. Mesner mentioned, really, you know, focusing, honing in on what questions can you ask your physician about genetic testing and how can genetic testing change your care? So the first thing to mention is that lung cancer of 2021 is a different disease, as Dr. Lee mentioned, than lung cancer in 2014 or 2010. We know that lung cancer is multiple small types of diseases. It's not all one uniform disease, right? We know that there are different histologies or different types of lung cancer, how they appear under the microscope. But even deeper than that, there are different genomic abnormalities. And the definition really of precision medicine 
is any form of medicine that uses a patient's personal or genomic information or, or information on their proteins to diagnose or to treat the disease. So particularly in cancer care, precision medicine uses specific information about a person's tumor to help in the diagnosis, in the treatment, as well as using that to better prognosticate, to understand prognosis for patients. And we've already heard of some of the excellent uh, um, sort of examples of this, in particular KRAS and KRAS G12C. We'll really dive into that story a little more, as well as in the EGFR space, meaning that if you identify a specific abnormality in a patient's cancer, meaning understanding why that cancer is ticking, you can then block that abnormality, sort of like a lock and key model. If you identify the lock, those pills, the targeted therapy can really serve as that key uh, to really block or, or prevent that cancer uh, from growing. So precision medicine has changed the landscape or the, the face of lung cancer because prior to 2010, our only systemic treatments that were available were chemotherapy. And chemotherapy, although still important and a critical part of our treatment, right? Chemotherapy kills cancer cells, but can also unfortunately kill normal cells. So chemotherapy died by definition is not precise in any way. It just it kills cells that are dividing rapidly. Um, but with the advent and the sort of development of precision therapeutics and particular small molecules or pills, um, we've, we've gone you know, tremendously forward in this space and patients are not only living longer and doing better, but having better quality of life. That's time with family, uh, time with friends, as Dr. Lee had mentioned. So what are some of the research uh, ongoing in the area of genomics or, or understanding the genetic abnormalities that help drive cancer? So actually in 2021, we now have nine FDA-approved therapeutics um, that we can match patients to if we identify specific abnormalities. So to that point, again, that not all lung cancer is the same. Right? And lung cancer does not discriminate. It afflicts men, it afflicts women, uh, former smokers, active smokers, and folks who may have never smoked in the past. So this whole idea of only doing genetic testing on patients, on folks who've never smoked, is very outdated in 2021. As we mentioned earlier, KRAS is a common driver mutation in folks who have smoked in the past. And if we only did testing in people who never smoked, we would miss out on the opportunity to have an active therapy uh, for those patients. So when I meet a new patient who has a lung cancer, the first question I always have is, what is the stage of the cancer, meaning where did the cancer start and where has the cancer gone in the body? We then want to understand what is the histology, what does it look like under the microscope, because that helps guide the therapy. And then what's become more and more important over time is understanding the genetics or the abnormalities that are causing that cancer to tick. And as Dr. Lee mentioned, there's two ways that we can identify genetic abnormalities in the cancer. One opportunity is to do a biopsy or a tissue biopsy. So in fact, putting a needle into the mass, and it could be from outside of the chest, we call that a percutaneous, generally an image-guided biopsy, or it can be done bronchoscopically, which is a camera that goes in the mouth and then goes down the airway and can biopsy through the airway. And when we get tissue, uh, we're then able to break apart the tissue and break apart the DNA to then better understand what abnormalities are seen there. Another novel and, and, and exciting opportunity is liquid biopsy. 
So instead of doing that invasive procedure, the biopsy, we can actually do a blood test. Um, so checking peripheral blood uh, for cancer DNA that we can then actually identify and target with specific therapies. So what is the difference really between liquid biopsy and tissue biopsy? So I think that tissue biopsy is still a critical portion or part of our diagnostic process as well as our prognostic process because we still need to understand the histology or what the cancer looks like under the microscope. And you might have heard terms like adenocarcinoma or gland cancer, and that's the most common type of lung cancer we see here in the United States. That's a cancer that arises from a cell that produces mucus. Now, there are other types of lung cancers like squamous cell cancers, uh, and then other types called small cell lung cancer. And in fact, it's still really important to identify the histology because that's going to help guide therapy. But on a deeper level, understanding the genetic abnormalities uh, can help then guide specific targeted therapies. So tissue biopsy is very helpful in making the diagnosis and also in getting the genetic information. The problem with tissue biopsy in the sense of uh, next-generation sequencing for molecular is that it oftentimes takes a long time to get the results back, uh, on average about three weeks. And oftentimes we don't have that time to wait with patients, right? Patient could be symptomatic and have cough or shortness of breath, and we don't have the liberty of waiting three weeks to understand the genetic abnormality. The other problem with a tissue biopsy oftentimes is it doesn't tell us about the heterogeneity or the, the diversity of cancer, right? We know that cancer, when it starts in the lung, may be different if it spreads to a different part of the body. The cancer may have other genetic abnormalities or other uh, sort of uh, mutations that may help guide prognosis and treatment. Whereas a liquid biopsy, I think, is oftentimes complementary to a tissue biopsy, a liquid biopsy is a blood test where you, you know, test peripheral blood and look for circulating tumor DNA. And Dr. Lee mentioned a very large study just uh, published out of uh, um, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering, 1,002 patients who were prospectively enrolled um, with stage 4 lung cancer who received plasma um, or liquid biopsy as well as tissue biopsy. And looking at how the liquid biopsy affected or impacted care. So a significant clinical benefit uh, for these patients when we identified a genetic abnormality or mutation in the liquid biopsy. So liquid biopsies are, are quick. The results are oftentimes back in five to seven days. And we get a really nice understanding of the heterogeneity or diversity of the cancer itself. So sometimes we're able to pick up more information on a liquid biopsy than we are on a tissue biopsy. One really important discussion I have with uh, folks in, in the office and clinic is that liquid biopsies are like going fishing, right? If you go fishing and you don't catch a fish, it doesn't mean that there are no fish out there in the ocean. They're still there. We just didn't catch them. So when people say my liquid biopsy was negative, I oftentimes correct them and say, hey, it wasn't negative. It was non-diagnostic. And when we look at serial liquid biopsies over time, it actually matters uh, how you do the test, what time of day, the temperature. Uh, it matters the burden of disease. And it matters whether a patient is on a therapy that is effective or not. All of those things can actually affect the level of circulating tumor DNA in the blood. So again, liquid biopsies are very helpful for us 
in identifying um, potential mutations or heterogeneity or even resistance to some therapies, but I think it's oftentimes complementary uh, to the tissue biopsy. So what are some of the key questions that you can ask your healthcare team about genomic testing and how it benefits your treatment? So as Dr. Lee mentioned earlier, there are many different mutations and patients can be matched to targeted therapy that are not only better tolerated than systemic therapy such as chemo, but actually work better, is more effective, uh, and have less side effects. So the KRAS G12C story is a phenomenal one. So one of the questions you need to ask your doctor at your visit is, what is my mutation? Why is my cancer ticking? And if the doctor can't answer that question for you, you need to demand to get a genetic test, either a tissue biopsy or a liquid biopsy. And oftentimes the tissue exists because it was done up front. It just needs to be sent for the correct testing. And if your doctor is able to identify a genetic uh, alteration, uh, they then can talk to you about matching you to specific therapy. So the KRAS G12C story, as Dr. Uh, Lee mentioned, makes up about 14% of non-small cell lung cancer. And when we look at KRAS altogether, it makes up about 30% of cancer. And this has been a very, very hard alteration to target. Many studies over many years have been negative in this setting. And the sotorasib, uh, this oral therapy that was developed only about five or six years ago, actually has now been FDA approved. Dr. Lee and his team and others have shown that it is clinically effective and it is now FDA approved after progression or after growth on standard therapies in the frontline setting. So if you identify this alteration in the plasma, the blood, or in the tissue, it opens up a whole new potential opportunity or possibility uh, for the treatment of your cancer. So again, critical when you're sitting down with you know, your doctor in the office, your healthcare provider, your healthcare team, ask them, what is my mutation or what is causing my cancer uh, uh, to drive or grow? I want to end uh, on you know, some guidelines to prepare for telehealth and telemedicine appointments, uh, including some you know, sort of prepared questions that I want you to think about uh, when sitting down, and particularly in the COVID era. You know, one of the silver linings of COVID has been that we have actually better access to our patients uh, using technology. So video visits uh, were sort of sci-fi about two years ago, but due to COVID, uh, we have now are doing video visits on a routine basis. And video visits can sometimes be uh, impersonal, right? Um, and I find it difficult sometimes to connect with patients. So one of the things that I recommend patients do, maybe the first couple of minutes of the video visit, try to spend time just to get to know your doctor, because oftentimes you don't have those in-person cues or, or, or sort of chit-chat discussions. So, you know, for us, we're all human too, and we want to connect with our patients. So spend the first minute or two uh, connecting uh, with your healthcare provider on the uh, call. Also, spend some time before getting on the call to try to get used to the platform, right? Oftentimes, the first five or ten minutes of a visit are spent just trying to figure out the volume, trying to figure out the video camera, and, and this could be distressing to the patient, but also to the doc as well. And, and I think, you know, spending 15 or 20 minutes beforehand uh, figuring out how to work the, the system is very, very helpful. Oftentimes, you also don't have that face-to-face -face contact, that, that sort of personal touch, so you oftentimes forget 
to ask the questions you want to ask, in particular questions that may seem um, deep or, or questions that may be about prognosis. I think those can be done virtually. Uh, have a prepared list. Have a set of questions that are ready to go uh, that you can then sit down and, and ask uh, to your clinician. So one of the most important questions to ask your clinician on a video visit, as we mentioned earlier, is what is my mutation? Uh, another thing to ask the physician is, you know, you can do the video visits, but you can also ask, is it okay or appropriate to set up an in-person visit if that's something that you need? A lot of my patients on targeted therapies um, actually are very happy coming in once only every three months, uh, getting scans, and then I see them virtually. And I oftentimes try to ask patients, if you're not satisfied or you don't feel like you're getting what you need from the virtual visit, please let us know because we'd be happy to see you in the office. So communicate that with your physician and your physician team. Lastly, I want to end on this, open, this idea of open notes, which is very controversial. And just to explain it briefly, this is the idea of the 21st Century Care Act that allows patients to see all of their information and data in real time, including labs, you know, uh, um, uh, imaging results, pathology, as well as uh, the notes that we write in the office. And I actually think this is a phenomenal thing because everything that we put into the system note-wise or every piece of information like labs or imaging, that is owned by the patient. That is information about your health and your body. And, and I think the one caveat is that it raises the level of anxiety uh, in patients, particularly when they see the results uh, before speaking to their doctor. Uh, one thing I'd recommend is try to set up the scans maybe a day before seeing your doctor. Or if you do get the scans in advance, try to have a, an outlet or a way that you can reach out to your physician, the team, maybe through a portal, maybe through a phone call. Uh, so one thing that I've tried to do, do at NYU is have our team really reach out to patients in real time as they get the information back to sort of alleviate some of that anxiety regarding the, the, the results. But actually, I think it's helped patients. It's allowed them to be more proactive and involved in their care. And I think it's a wonderful advancement uh, for patients owning their own data. So, Dr. Mesner, I'll wrap up there and stop there, but uh, I'll turn it back to you. Um, thank you, Dr. Sabari. Excellent presentation. Very, very comprehensive and covering a lot of questions and issues that I know there'll be for you also during the Q&A. So, thank you very much, Dr. Sabari. Um, and our next speaker is Ms. Katie Brown. And Miss um, Brown is a uh, the partner, she's, a, the, she's with the Partner Organization Longevity Foundation. She is Vice President, Support and Survivorship Programs, Longevity Foundation. And Ms. Brown will be addressing Longevity Foundation's free programs and services, the Lung, Lung Cancer Helpline, um, their website, and all the services they provide. It's really my pleasure and really delighted to be partnering with the Longevity Foundation on this program. And I now turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, um, Ms. Brown. And the esteemed colleagues on this call, um, I do want to uh, just make a, 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 quick, a quick comment on uh, genomic testing from the advocacy organization's perspective. Um, in 2015, Longevity Foundation conducted an audit of patient education materials about testing um, after seeing how confused our patients were by all the multiple terms that are surrounding testing. 
and we learned that there are 17 different terms being used to educate lung cancer patients about biomarker testing, but none of the terms really dominated. So a group of us um, in the lung cancer community got together for a summit to address the audit results that, that we did and uh, the, see what term people, patients, and organizations preferred. And biomarker testing was the strong favorite. And that summit in 2015 was the start within the lung cancer community to use the term biomarker testing more consistently. There's a consortium of nearly 50 patient groups, medical societies, and industry partners committed to using common terms. And we firmly believe that comprehensive biomarker testing should be an ongoing part of the discussions with your healthcare team. If you're looking for information, resources, or support, you can call our toll-free helpline at 844-360-LUNG for personalized support at any time along your lung cancer journey. You can also visit our website at www.lungw.org to learn more about lung cancer, biomarker testing, treatment options, clinical trials, and support resources. You don't have to go through lung cancer alone. Thank you, Dr. Mesner and Cancer Care for having me. Oh, thank you so much, for Ms. Brown. That was just a wonderful um, introduction and description of the Longevity Foundation. And it's really just a, a really wonderful resource for everybody on this call um, um, living with lung cancer, um, both your helpline, which is just terrific, your website, all the materials that you have, um, and all that you do for, for patients. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and our next, I am just going to say a few words now. Um, about um, about cancer care services. I'm Carolyn Mester. I'm Director of Education and Training of Cancer Care. And I just want to briefly describe the free services that you can access from Cancer Care um, that complement, of course, the um, Longevity Foundation, um, who really would be your go-to organization, absolutely, for lung cancer issues that you might be confronting. Um, cancer Care is a national nonprofit organization. Um, we serve... Um, all parts of the United States, um, and um, we have uh, primarily services provided by oncology social workers. And so, and many people contact us, contact us by calling our Hope Line, and or or coming to our website and posting a question. And um, the services that people access are support. First of all, people may call and ask a question from our our staff, um, but we also provide very specific services. We offer practical and financial assistance and co-payment assistance as well. Um, we have a whole case management uh, program in which we help. If we don't have the resource of connecting you virtually to an organization that can meet your needs, um, we also um, offer online support groups. And uh, we have, of course, these workshops that we offer and, of course, um, and many publications as well. Um, so that um, it's a, a resource for you to, to be aware of. Now, I, before we move on to the Q&A, um, I'm going to um, ask you just a few questions at this point, um, just to get a sense of um, what you have learned from the workshops. So I'm going to, uh, for those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to address the questions. And so the first question, and these are questions that you'll be rating, and those of you who are live streaming will be able to see the questions and rate them. So as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater 
confidence in my knowledge of the important role of genomic testing in informing the treatment of non-small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. The next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the definition of genomics and genomic testing in non-small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. The next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the role of liquid biopsies in informing the treatment for non-small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. Now we just have two questions left. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the difference between genomics and genetics in non-small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the last question will be, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in participating in current research on genomics in non-small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank all of you for participating in these questions. It really will help us as we plan future programs on this topic. It's very important. And so now, uh, moving on, we're going to ask to have all of our speakers on board for questions and answers. So I'm going to ask Michelle to bring all of our speakers on board and to explain to you how to queue up for, uh, for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered, and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And to special for our online participants, and this will be for Dr. Lee, do all centers have pathologists? Will my oncologist refer me to a pathologist, or do I have to ask for it? Uh, yes, every uh, uh, patient uh, should ac have access automatically to a pathologist. In, in, in fact, the practice of oncology cannot exist without a, uh, a certified pathologist. Uh, so uh, uh, feel free to do talk to your oncologist about that. Usually, depending on the practice in the cancer center, there, there is already a dedicated pathology lab that, that's working uh, uh, with the team. Awesome. Thank you. And um, Dr. Sabari, um, the question for you, who benefits the most from biomarker testing? So I think all, all people who have any cancer uh, benefit from biomarker testing because it's going to identify medicines that work best for that particular patient. So, you know, it, it's interesting that different mutations or different driver alterations have uh, better prognoses and better therapies. Um, but I think as we continue to test more and more patients uh, and we, tend, we develop better drugs or better therapies for our patients, I think all patients 
uh, across the board uh, will benefit. Uh, there are no types of cancer in my mind uh, that should not be genetically sequenced in 2021. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, uh, for Dr. Lee, um, so the, knowing the difference between liquid and tissue biopsy, are both done or do doctors choose one type? Yes, uh, both uh, play complementary roles uh, and both are important. Uh, it is uh, certainly up to the doctor and the patient to discuss which um, form of biopsy to, to undertake. Uh, there are advantages of both. Uh, liquid biopsy is often faster, non-invasive. It's a blood test, and uh, it can give you genetic information that may match the patient to precision treatment right away. Tissue biopsy is uh, more involved. You need to schedule the biopsy. You need to get the, the, uh, the procedure done, and you need to obtain that tissue and then molecularly uh, isolate the DNA and, and sequence that, and that takes longer. Uh, however, it can give you more information that uh, sometimes a liquid biopsy doesn't have. It can give you proteomic information. It will give you the histology uh, under the microscope, as Dr. Sabari had previously explained. Uh, it may give you uh, the opportunity for uh, more extended sequencing uh, than a, a tube of blood. So there are pros and cons of each, but largely speaking, the, the science is suggesting that these two are, are both important and they play complementary roles. And to, as an add-on to, uh, uh, to the original question about pathologist, yes, every patient has, is automatically getting access to a uh, surgical pathologist uh, or histopathologist that, that looks at the cancer under the mic microscope, but uh, they don't automatically all have a molecular Pathologist, and that needs to be ordered specifically with the oncologist or, or a, a physician uh, to do the genetic testing that um, Dr. Sabari had so emphasized. Uh, and it's by then the molecular pathologist could then look at the cancer genome uh, and then come up with the uh, specific mutations that may be relevant to, to treatment. So that is a step that we have to consciously take. At Memorial Sloan Kettering, it's it's, uh, it's, it's semi-automatic. Uh, we, we will uh, have almost a reflex uh, test into genetics, but this is not uh, widespread in the community. And uh, a conscious effort needs to be made by the oncologist with the patient uh, to get uh, genetic, uh, gen we're really talking about genomic testing because it's not good enough to test for one gene. It's, it's genomics, the whole panel. Uh, uh, and every lung cancer patient with lung cancer needs that uh, uh, tested. Excellent. Thank you. Very helpful. And um, for Dr. Sabari, it's related to this, but it's um, interesting. The person is, um, participant is saying, I already had a biopsy, but it was not tested for biomarkers. Should I ask my doctor to test it? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, oftentimes, as I mentioned, Folks will have a biopsy, uh, will define the histology, what it looks like under the microscope, and we may do some reflex testing that is piecemeal, uh, looking at individual genes, and, and as Dr. Lee mentioned, that is not sufficient in 2021. Uh, so it's okay to ask your doctor to send the biopsy that you've had in the past for genetic testing. 
sometimes doctors send that already, and if it's non-diagnostic, don't report it uh, or don't go over that with you. But I think it's a critical piece of information to understand uh, for you. And as, as your own advocate, uh, you may open up the doors for other potential uh, treatment options. So, yes, even if a biopsy was done in the past, it is okay to request uh, uh, next-generation sequencing from that uh, specimen or that sample. And then um, for um, Dr. Um, Lee, um, so you've answered this question to some extent, but is genetic testing automatically done, or do does one have to request it? Um, and I guess then and the sequel to that is, as are there new genomic tests being developed that then has to go back and retest for? You could kind of comment on that as well. Yes, uh, it's a it's a great question. Not all centers uh, do um, uh, the full extent of genomic testing, and I think it needs to be a conscious effort by, made by the oncologist and the patient uh, to get it done. So I don't think it's automatic uh, universally. And also, when it comes to genetic testing or genomic testing, we're doing that on a whole, uh, there is a consent, informed consent process that, that needs to be incorporated as well. Uh, so uh, there needs to be a discussion because we're dealing with genes. And uh, uh, so it's a, it's a conscious effort. Yeah. In terms of the uh, newer methods, yes, this is a field that is evolving. The older panels that are looking at one or very few genes are no longer sufficient. They used to be, not anymore, not in 2021, as Dr. Sabari had emphasized. We really need the omics approach. So genomics takes the whole set and doing it at once. And that's a pro an approach called next generation sequencing. Uh, and, and that is uh, the future. And that is also the present. Uh, it has become the standard of care. I can confidently say that in 2021. Uh, so I, I would encourage every patient to pursue uh, a form of genomic testing, uh, either through tissue or through blood uh, or both. Uh, to make sure that the genetic underpinnings of the cancer, this is the, the cancer biology, its genome, how it behaves, why it behaves like that, uh, they're understood so that we can better treat it the best uh, way possible for the best possible outcome. And I think every patient deserves that. Excellent. Thank you. Dr. President, can I just jump in? One common yes. question I get in the clinic is, is this something I was born with? We talk about genetics. Most people think of things that were inherited. Uh, but when Dr. Lee and I talk about genetics in the sense of lung cancer genetics, we're often, often talking about genes that are not inherited from mom and dad and, and potentially passed on to your children. We're talking about genes that were, you know, mutated or became abnormal from some environmental exposure potentially. So that's really the difference between what we call germline. Germline mutation is something that you inherit from mom and dad, and 100% if you inherited it from both mom or dad, or 50% if you inherited it only from mom of your genes have that abnormality. But what we're looking for in cancer are what we call somatic mutations. These are mutations that are acquired over time. And generally, when we look at the level of the mutation in the blood, it's oftentimes very low, you know, in the 1%, 2% range. So, so this is not something that you were likely born with, uh, and this is not likely something that you have a risk of passing on to your children. 
Dr. Lee mentioned earlier about getting informed consent. That's when we take the genetic testing to the next level where we want to understand deeper germline alterations, and that's a whole new area of investigation in 2021. But for generally what we're looking for are somatic alterations, mutations that were acquired or you know, changed your genes uh, from the environment. That's an important <laughs> point uh, uh, because in, in lung cancers, generally speaking, we cannot uh, blame our uh, mother and father uh, for, for the genetic mutations. These are environmentally for acquired else genes. We can. <laughs> It's a very important point. That's that's excellent. That's very helpful. People really and the environment is constantly changing, and so it's there's a lot of things going on. That uh, um, so, this question from one of our participants, Hadef um, Sabari: um, Are any of the treatments side effects permanent? Yeah, it really depends on what treatment, and it's a, a tough question because it's a broad question, you know. Some of the side effects can be permanent. For example, some of the side effects from immunotherapy, for example, can be lifelong and, and we need to manage. Uh, with the targeted therapy medications, oftentimes most of the side effects are reversible when we stop the medication, but it's really a, a discussion to have with your doctor because depending on the side effect, on what medication, uh, some things may be permanent. But, but overall, the sense is that I want you to get that targeted therapies are generally better tolerated than chemotherapy, uh, which are non-sort uh, of specific or non-targeted in any way. It's a great question. And so when it's targeted, uh, could you explain a little bit more in terms of the what the targeted means to people who sure. understand so that? Targeted to specific genetic abnormalities. So we talked a lot about doing testing to understand what mutation is causing your cancer to tick. And if you identify that specific mutation, we can match you to that specific therapy. And the reason I'm being so broad in saying that is there are so many different alterations, nine that have FDA-approved match targeted therapy. And oftentimes when I talk to patients in the office and I talk about chemo, I talk about immunotherapy, uh, and then I talk about targeted therapy, and I mention that oftentimes these are pills, all patients say is, okay, tell me about the pills. That's what I want. But we have to first identify or understand that there's a specific alteration or mutation in your cancer that would, you would benefit from those specific pills. One thing that's critical is we would never want to use a pill that's targeted in somebody who doesn't have that correct mutation because then we would only be giving side effect without any significant chance of benefit. So the question is really dependent on what is the therapy, what is the mutation, and I would have that discussion with your physician because each of these therapies has a different potential side effect profile. Excellent. Thank you. And for Dr. Lee, am I at serious risk for serious bone problems? Uh, I, it, it would be difficult for me to comment on an individual uh, case and, and individual patient's risk uh, for bone problems. Uh, but in general, uh, lung can, any cancer actually can spread to the bones. And the, in terms of bone, uh, I think you're referring to skeletal-related complications such as fractures and spinal cord compressions, bone pain. Uh, these 
are judged, the risks of that uh, will be judged on the individual case. Uh, for lung cancer, it's actually less common compared to uh, breast cancer and prostate cancers where that's incredibly common and, and bone strengthening agents are routinely recommended. In lung cancer, it's not so much the case. So we, I would assess that on an individual basis. Excellent, thank you. And the question for um, Ms. Brown, actually, um, what are some reliable organizations and sites I can use to learn more about genomic testing? So, Ms. Brown, if you'd like to address that one. Well, you know I'm going to say <laughs> longevity, <laughs> cancer care or longevity. And I will just say that if you go to longevity.org and you go to um, the Lancaster 101 very uh, credible science-based information um, about lung cancer and about biomarker testing. Um, and, and just a, a heads up in terms of why we did the white paper and um, a lot of the, the, the boards about common termino terminology. We had several patients who, who came to us after hearing about genomic testing that, um, that they did have this gene and that they were so afraid that their kids would also um, have lung cancer as well. So there was just so much confusion within the lung cancer community. So at Longevity, we use the term comprehensive biomarker testing, and patients, uh, lung cancer patients can come to our website to learn more about it. We have videos, we have tutorials, we have Q&As with experts often. You can also go to Cancer Care um, and also to uh, their treating hospitals website. I'm sure would have lots of information that they could explore. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks. Just wonderful resources for people. And actually, at the, at the end of today's program, you'll all be getting, well, probably tomorrow you'll be getting a SurveyMonkey um, evaluation of the program, which we'd like you to complete. But in that SurveyMonkey will also be um, all the different organizations that we've mentioned and some that we have not yet mentioned, but that we think would be of use to all of you to access um, um, that would, would give you additional information. So you'll be getting some additional information um, after the program as well. Um, I want to thank all of our speakers. I know we have many more questions in queue, and we could go on for quite a bit more time, but um, I think that we have said this sort of an hour program, and so I want to thank our speakers. Um, I want to thank our participants for actually um, asking such terrific questions. Um, and... Um, I do want to address all of you who still have questions in queue. So for those of you who either asked a question, um, have a question you've not yet had a chance to ask, or who thought of a question um, and now would like to ask it of someone, um, we'd like you to all, first of all, go back to Treating Healthcare Team. I think that's been mentioned um, throughout the Q&A period that, of course, your healthcare team knows the most about you and your particular lung cancer and the tests you've had. And, and to go ahead and ask them questions. We hope that as a result of this program that you have some additional information that you can bring to your healthcare team, but you also may have just questions maybe more informed. You may just may have more, much like the questions you asked today or that you would want to ask. Those are good questions, and they're good to ask your healthcare team. We also will provide you with other resources to go to to ask questions of so that you wouldn't feel... Um, but I think the healthcare team, um, they really know you the best and, and they, uh, they can really um, uh, um, help to address some of those specific um, your questions specifically as they relate to you. That's really important. 
Um, also, for those of you who wish to take advantage of the Longevity Foundation, their helpline, their website, that information again will be sent to you um, to contact or to cancer care, or if you want to wish to call Cancer Care for some of the support services that we offer to please um, take advantage of that as well. Perhaps most importantly, as we're concluding our program today, we'd not, we'd not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with lung cancer and in coping with what you've learned today as well. We want you to know you're now part of a community of support, and we're here to help you. And so to please take advantage of all those services. And again, I want to wish you all a very fine day, and thank you all for your participation. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.